Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Mets fans, welcome to episode 210 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, and I am your host for this week's show. So this has been a crazy week for very obvious reasons, um, but we have a show for you. It's, it's a bit shorter than usual, but that's okay. First up, Chris McShane and I talk about UNA Cespedes, Jerry's Familia, trade rumors, and uh, go off on a few tangents. Well, Chris, we are here. It is the first, I guess the second full week of November, and uh, we have uh, the Mets, the GM meetings are just wrapping up right now. We have a little bit of news, not nothing really all that substantial from the GM meetings, but let's get right to it. So Sandy Alderson today spoke to the media and mentioned how he would like to get the Cespedes situation under control sooner than later. He says that they do want to bring him back and that they will be speaking to his representatives soon. Um... In terms of general optimism, uh, we all know you're the optimistic one of the two of us. Um, how optimistic are you feeling that the Mets will be able to bring back Cespedes uh, this offseason? <laughs> uh, reasonably. So I, I wouldn't say I'm brimming with confidence. And uh, 
we won't we won't delve into anything else that may have happened in the country that some of us may have been confident about that didn't happen <laughs> but uh but yeah it you know to go from the way that they started talking about things last off season where you know uh the Mets detractor would probably say oh they just had him fall into their lap um which i think is a little bit harsh but to go from that to where they are now where there's at least an acknowledgement that this guy is really important to the team uh, that they like to have him back. You know, not every quote from Sandy Alderson on the record has said, you know, that they're making it the top priority, but certainly that's the impression that the reporters who are covering the team are coming away with. Uh, so that to me is, that's what it should be. Uh, I'm still a little frustrated that they didn't do more before he opted out and, you know, their defense for that is probably that there's no way they could have guaranteed they could keep him around or they, you know, they'd, they'd only have to bid against themselves and spend extravagantly to get him to not do it. I don't entirely agree with that. Uh, I was hoping it would sort of be resolved by now, but I do like to hear that the, they expect a quicker timeline and I do, I do like that, you know, there's an acknowledgement that this should be priority number one uh and then you know you you figure out what to do with the rest of your outfield once you have him back yeah um you know i think in the will ponds back pocket is the idea that they could have very well been on the hook for him for 25 million dollars this year and next year so you know it seems to me like the money for the first couple of years isn't really I mean, it's a big deal. It's the Mets. It's the Wilpons. We know how money is there. But it's not like this is money that they weren't expecting to possibly be spending. So as long as they, you know, don't go overboard. We have an email that we'll get into this in a little bit. But as long as they don't go overboard on the first couple of years of the contract, I don't think – it just it seems, very, it seems very doable to me is what I'm trying to say here. It doesn't seem like it's an undoable situation. It seems like he wants to be a Met. They want him to be a Met. They're going to have to compromise a little bit, but I think ultimately they can get this deal done. Uh, I saw a report today. I think it was one of the beats. I'm not sure. I'm I'm still in a haze from the events of this week, uh, so my apologies to our listeners for not being sharp on this stuff. But I saw somewhere that, that they think that the market for Cespedes may not be as strong as he initially intent thought it would be, perhaps. And that's a good thing for the Mets. My only fear is that if the Mets are are playing hardball with getting it done at a certain by a certain time, that he might not want to commit that early, and therefore they'll miss out on him. That doesn't mean they can't re-enter the conversation later, but it's a really convenient excuse to not pay him if you say, we want this wrapped up by you know, December 15th or whatever it is, and he chooses to drag that, then it's his fault. He's not a Met, not the team's fault. So that would be my slight concern about that. But I, I'm with you. I think it's a reasonable possibility that Cespedes is back next year. Yeah, and one thing with that too is that their fallback plan in the outfield is already in place. So That's true. Even if he does drag it into January, you know, they get the 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 backup plan is on the roster either way. You know, there might be some frustration with say he signs on January 27th again and then they have to trade Jay Bruce, you know. Right, you have less time, less options, yeah. Right. I I understand you know, maybe that's sort of the point that he's trying to make, I hope, 
to Cespedes's agent and, and representation is just, look, we'd love to have him back. If we can agree on the financials, the sooner the better for us because that, that helps make us, make us a better team uh, because we can, you know, deal an outfielder. So, so yeah, that that's uh, I don't know. I as as listeners know, I think uh, I have had the Cespedes part of his customized walk-up music from last year <laughs> as the text tone on my iPhone for the last year. Well, yeah, pretty much a year since that's you know the song came out in October. Uh, I removed it last year when I thought he was a goner, and then I put it right back when he came back. I haven't taken it off my phone yet, so I guess okay. if you want an optimism gauge, I still have it. I'm not letting it go unless he signs elsewhere. But you will let it go if he signs elsewhere. You won't. You won't keep it for nostalgia's sake. I, yeah, I, I think so. I, Maybe after he retires, you can bring it back. Yeah, yeah. Let's well, let's hope he is a Met forever and then retires someday. <laughs> That's fair. I can hope that with you. I'm cool with that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned trading Jay Bruce. There was uh, a number of rumors this week that the Mets are fielding offers on their outfielders, on Michael Conforto, Jay Bruce, and Curtis Granderson. Uh, if if we were doing odds here, who would you say has the highest odds of being traded? Uh, for me, it's it's a pretty clear answer, but I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Uh Odds of actually being traded, I, I think Bruce is the highest by far. Agreed. I also think he's the least appealing to all other teams. <laughs> Agreed as well. But the you know the price on him shouldn't be too high. If you're looking at Conforto as a trade piece, you know what what does another team have that could possibly you know get you to give him up? I, I just don't I don't see it. Real shortstop, maybe? Yeah. But then, I mean, if you do that, then Rosario becomes a trade chip or, you know, moves the new shortstop to second base or third base, whatever, you know. Yeah. Whatever it may be. But, yeah, no, that, that could be a thing. Uh, maybe a catcher? Right. That was the only other thing I was thinking. But, but yeah, it, it would have to be somebody real. You know, like, it, you, you wouldn't be able to just... Get Conforto, right? Uh, so yeah, I I think odds of being traded would go Bruce highest, Granderson, uh, and then um, Conforto. Yeah, uh, I guess th- this isn't really news, but it's worth mentioning that Curtis Granderson has been very well um, ha- has been a great source of Mets publicity since he signed with the Mets. But this offseason, he won both the. Um, Roberto Clemente Award and uh, the Marvin Miller, the Marvin Miller Award. Yes, so you know he is he is one of the true good citizens of the game, and I think that matters to the Mets a bit, and I think they'd be reluctant to trade him, um, especially because of all the bad PR the Mets have been getting lately with some of their players. Yeah, that that it, it might be a valuable. Um, a valuable decision, even if you don't think he's going to be as good this coming season as he was last year, just to have someone on the team to field questions when inevitably, uh, you know, one of the two guys that has been accused of domestic violence does something good or bad. It's nice to have that steady hand in the uh, clubhouse to answer those questions from reporters. Yeah. 
that came out more depressing than I intended it to be. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, also discussed at the GM meetings, we have um, the Mets have had conversations or are about to have a conversation with Neil Walker's agents. They offered him, a, they put out a qualifying offer for him. And, uh, you know, for those that have short term memory loss or were in a coma this year, Walker started the year off on fire with the Mets, had a very, very productive first half. Cooled off a little bit in the second half and then injured his back and uh, had season-ending back surgery, which uh, led him to be off the postseason roster. Um, you know, we talked about this, I, I don't remember if it was last time or the time before, how we both think there's a decent shot he might take the qualifying offer. Um, yeah. Would you see the Mets possibly going with a longer contract if he doesn't take the qualifying offer? Would they possibly you know, extend a two or three year deal to him. Yeah, I, I think it's possible. Uh, you know, I think I forget where it was floated and it might've been more than one place, but three, you know, I saw somebody saying, uh, it might've been in a column predicting free agents. I forget if it was like a Fox sports thing or the daily news or the post or, you know, somebody put out there three forty eight. Uh, you know, that might seem a little bit high, all things considered, but I could see the Mets doing something in between what Murphy got and that if it's a three-year deal. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think if they're going to do that, then he certainly has to be open to, uh, you know, at least taking some reps, playing some games at third base. Maybe even first base later later on in that contract. Yeah, that's true. And especially if his right-handed hitting holds up. You know, exactly, yeah obviously he had the back surgery and that is the thing most people are going to talk about and think about how does he come back from that but you know the year he had as a right-handed hitter for the Mets this year was just what a pleasant surprise absolutely yeah <laughs> you know and I mean he he's really good uh I think sort of an interesting thing and this might be something that people everybody might take the bet on Murphy for 2017 because of the surgery for Walker but you know, honestly, straight up, who has the better 2017 season, Walker or Murphy? That's an interesting question, my friend. It is. And, I, you know, I, look, recent evidence, Murphy broke out in a big way and all that. I get it. You know, it could, I wouldn't blame people for saying it's him. But I'm just saying <laughs> it wouldn't totally shock me if Walker was better than Murphy next year. I mean, you figure if Walker had stayed healthy and if Murphy hadn't turned into uh, Ted Williams, it wouldn't. Murphy's average season over the last three or four years, even if you took 10% above his average season, Murphy's season isn't. That season wouldn't be that different from what Neil Walker did. Right. You know? um, Yeah, I don't know. That's an excellent question. Yeah, but but yeah, it's uh, I, I I like Walker a lot. You know, a year ago, I was totally on board with the plan. Everything they did at second base, um, you know, it's I get that second base is a position that they have a lot of options to try. There, you know, Flores certainly against left-handed pitching is a totally viable starter. Um, you know, TJ Rivera was outstanding, better than anybody could have expected when he came up and got his playing time down the stretch this year. Jose Reyes can, you know, go play over there when David Wright is healthy. And, 
Am I forgetting anybody else? I mean, hopefully they just re-sign Kelly Johnson and don't have to <laughs> trade for him again. That's true. I mean, you know... It, so it's... I know there's a, there's like a rotating cast of characters that can play there. You also didn't mention Isdrubal Cabrera, who, if Rosario is called up... Right. ...to play second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I get that it's deep, but I just... I, I always come back to this. I would much rather it be... Th- that whole cast are all the understudies and you know the the starter is clearly an above average major league player yeah so so yeah i two or three years i think would be the max commitment um i think we we might have said this in the past as well but i wouldn't even be opposed to an omar special here and do a, a vesting option for him oh yeah yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, a little throwback. Yeah, there were about three years there where I never wanted to hear the phrase "vesting option" ever again. <laughs> but I feel like we've now we've now come past, come through that, you know. And for someone like Walker, it's a perfect deal because if he's healthy, he's going to be good and he's going to be playing. But if yeah. he's not healthy, it gives the team some protection. So, of course, Omar never did it with guys that were health risks. <laughs> it was always just uh, <laughs> anybody who would uh, who would take it, I guess. Yeah. Didn't Damien easily have a vesting option? Oh, man. Did he? I might be making that up. That I might know just... Alex Cora did. Maybe that's what, maybe I'm thinking of Alex Cora. For, obviously, Francisco Rodriguez was the infamous. Yes. Uh, was Julio Franco's last deal technically one, or was it just a two-year deal? I think it was just a two-year deal, because he, remember, he, didn't, he did not... Um, either he didn't vest then... Or I don't think I don't think he had it. Okay, all right. But yeah, man, those Omar teams and their vesting options. Yes, some some more significant than others. Yes, absolutely. Um, anyway, the last sort of bit of uh, discussion. Actually, was that it? Did we get through everything before the emails? Yeah, I think it's time for emails. Okay. Uh, as always, you can email the show, podcast at amazonavenueaudio.com. we love to hear from you. We got a couple emails this week. Uh, first up, we have an email from Ryan. He says, It seems to know we know two things about Ioannis Cespedes. Number one, Cespedes would prefer all things being equal to stay a Met. And two, Cespedes is a proud man. Here's my suggestion for a contract for him. Four years at $105 million with a $12 million team option or a $6 million buyout. Here's how I would try and sell it to him. Increase 2017 and 18 salaries to to $27.5 million a year, 2019 and 2020 at $25 million a year. Then the team can sign him for 12 or pay him 6 to walk away. Here's why I think it might appeal to his pride. 2017 and 18 are gestures that he shouldn't have taken a pay cut after two solid seasons. The Mets have budgeted $47.5 million for those two years if he didn't opt out, so it's only another $7.5 million over two years above their original number. Two, publicly say over and over again that this is an extension and not a new contract. If you do that, the total value is either $138.5 million with the buyout or $150 million with the team option. Best case scenario, Cespedes can say he's... He got $150 million over six years, which he probably would have signed last offseason if given the chance. Worst case scenario, they can say he got the largest contract in Mets history. Um, again, the Mets budgeted for Cespedes in 2017 and 18 when they signed him. If he tore an ACL in spring training, he's down a year. 
they knew that opting out might not happen. So we're really only looking at 2019 and 2020 as new unbudgeted money. Wright's contract winds down those two years, assuming insurance isn't kicked in. Cabrera, Bruce, and Granderson are off the books by then. Lagaris is off the books in 2020. Conforto, Noah, DeGrom, and Mats aren't free agents yet, but they'll be in arbitration. If your core team members... Uh, sorry, of your core team members, you'll have to make up your mind about Duda, Darno, Harvey, Reed, and Familia as free agents by 2019 and 20 window. I would guess it is unlikely that Darno and Duda are on the team by then, whether you sign Cespedes or not. Do you want to pay Cespedes $25 million in 2020? He'll only, be 20, he'll only be 34 years old for the entire season, unless the Mets make the playoffs. The Mets pay Curtis Granderson $16 million in his age 34 season in 2015 dollars. I'd like to hear your thoughts. So what are your thoughts, Chris? Uh, generally sign me up. I don't know if, you know, the sort of de-escalating salary at the end, the option part of this, I think is the part that throws me off a little bit, you know, for what reason? Way. Uh, just because it's, I know that that's how Wright's contract ends, but that, you know, 12 million in 2021, I don't know if that does anything for him. That's fair. You know, it would, I, have, to, it would have to be a larger option. Right. Overall, I think I'm on board with this whole concept. You know, the the, the amount of money per year, uh, the fact that he's not taking a pay cut in the first two years and not taking a significant one after that, uh, the fact that Wright's contract decreases over time, even assuming full health. Um, you know, and we touched on it a little bit earlier, just the fact that they had to have budgeted, I hope, you know, I, I hope if he didn't opt out, they weren't going to be like, ah, shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> who's making money on this team? All right, non-tender Duda, non-tender Reed. Uh, yep, we're good. We, we you know, we're, we can afford him now. I hope that wasn't <laughs> the plan. So assuming that was the case uh, and they thought that they might very well pay that money in, in this upcoming season, the one after it, all this stuff makes sense. So. You also you know. have to figure, you know, I, I know it's it's a bit fuzzy math here, and I know that it's not as simple as I'm going to present it as. So I, I know all that before I start. But you have to figure making the one-game playoff, that the, that the revenue generated from that, especially as it was in New York, can more than make up the $7.5 million that, that, that this email presupposes we'd have to be an increase. You know, again, we don't know for sure, but it just seems like that's a pretty logical decision. Yeah. Yeah, so I think this all makes complete sense. I think the the Granderson comparison in terms of age is an interesting one. He's aged extremely well, and I, I'm, you know, I, I don't go overboard with it, but I always try to defend guys who are really good, and you know, just the fact that they're thirty or thirty-one doesn't mean they're going to suck, right? Uh, you know, starting tomorrow. Jason Bay was the exception. <laughs> you know, you, you look at aging curves in baseball and they usually go they exist you, you know you can't ignore age and and the effects on performance in the sport or or any sport really but you know you, you take a guy who is really good uh and he i think some of that stuff shows that guys who are the, the greatest at what they do tend to be a little more resistant to it yep uh and there's nothing about Cespedes' game uh, from this year that would be a red flag for me. You know, I know, like, the defensive metrics were a little bit down, but he played center for a chunk of the season, then played left. 
uh, and played almost all of it slightly hurt. Yeah, yeah. You know, the funny thing is that you, we we heard about last off season, and we heard a little bit at the beginning of this one, although I haven't seen a reference to it since then. Uh, you know, questioning, all right, what's his effort level going to be if he's signed to a long-term deal? And the ironic thing is that the reason his quad was banged up all year was that he, he probably too hard, too much yeah. effort. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate that he tried to catch the ball jumping into the stands, you know, in the, in the course of a baseball season. And that that's what gets me when anybody is called like a lazy player. It's just a long season, you know. You, <laughs> yep. And I know that for for whatever reason, I think even diehard baseball fans might take for granted the physical toll that playing the game can take on you. I know that there's a lot of standing around, but there, there's a whole, you know, to do that every night, and then sometimes the night and the 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 following day, there there is a real tax on your body absolutely so, you know i i think robin robinson cano heard it a lot and he's been one of the most durable players in the game uh and I, he's my go-to example for this kind of thing but if Cespedes wants to you know cadillac it a bit on the <clears throat> potential home run in march uh, not march april may so be it. It's fine. You know, or or the weak ground ball. I am totally willing to let guys off the hook for that because I'd much, much rather have them be healthy. Uh, and I think really all of the Mets postseason trips, certainly 2006 and then these last two, have been good examples of how important health is when you get to October. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, I would much, much rather have them be healthy. I've gone on a, a little bit of a rant here, but no, I I don't disagree with any of that. <laughs> but yeah, uh, sign me up. You know, if the the point I was getting at and bringing that up at all was that banged up Cespedes still looked like an excellent base runner, mm-hmm. and I think that's a part of his game that might get overlooked a little bit. Uh, so, you know, it's not like all of a sudden he was just. And David Ortiz is fantastic, but he wasn't just that. He wasn't just home runs, and he can't really run the bases, and he can't play defense. You know, we're, he's nowhere near that phase of his career. So, so yeah, sign me up. I and I also I think so to get back to the email. You know, if it takes a fifth year at that same high salary, fine. You know, I, I I'd have no problem. Yeah, um, you know, going back to Jason Bay for a second, although I'd rather not, but we kind of have to here. You know, Jason Bay is that rare player that got bad without an injury, right? Like, he, yes, he had the concussion, and that wasn't great, but it wasn't like, you know, t- to me, the, um, the likelihood of Cespedes getting really bad over that contract is... Lesser than other players for all the reasons we've talked about. But even if he did, by the time we're talking, what would that be? 2021 money? 2022? Yeah. Right? Yeah. At that point, who knows what baseball contracts even look like? This might look very reasonable by that point. I mean, oh, yeah. hell, I mean, hell look, at, uh, look at Granderson's contract right now. Not that that was ever a, a super rich contract, but that was like a damn bargain right now. 
Yeah. Th- that was only four years ago, you know? So I think it'll, uh, yeah, I think it'll be fine. I- I'm all for this plan. Uh, I agree with you, though. Having talked it through a little bit, I would think the option year would have to be um, worth more money. Or eliminate it altogether for just the fifth year overall. Right, yeah. All right, now we've got two emails about um, Jay Ray's Familia, who we discussed last week. So uh, the first one asks about um, whether it's likely that the Mets go after Kenley Jansen more heavily now and then try and uh, trade um, Familia. So let's first discuss, do you think that Familia is tradable right now? Tradable, yes, but I'm saying I'm using right now as over the course of this entire off season. Yes, yeah, I agree. So you know, we know we were recording on the same day that he had his hearing. Uh, you know, we know he pled not guilty. Uh, we know that he was able to, you know, lift the court-imposed uh, block of communicating with the victim. So, you know, those were the updates from that. Uh, And then we know he's going to be back, I think, was it early December? Yes. So we know those things. Uh, We don't know exactly how long it'll take before, you know, perhaps he makes the deal. Perhaps they actually set up a trial. Um, You know, there's a lot of uncertainty left. So, when you think of all those things and you have what you have to wait for, we, we also know that major league baseball is waiting for New Jersey to, you know, go, go through the process in court and let that reach its conclusion. I suspect major league baseball will investigate on its own while that's going on and certainly use anything that happens in court to inform its investigation. But, there's going to be a suspension. I think. I think that's pretty clear. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it, I, I'll leave open the possibility that there isn't one, but we don't know how long it will be, and it depends on what happens in court, and it depends on how Major League Baseball reacts to it. But I would think I, there's a suspension. Right. I. I think. You know, in, unless Familia somehow convinces the court that everything that he's accused of is completely false and he you know and he everything gets dismissed and there's nothing in, in major league baseball investigates and agrees that doesn't seem like the most likely scenario right now no especially as there's police record of what the damage of, of physical damage being done right so i think he is tradable this offseason if there's some resolution to what's going to happen with him. And I think, you know, that, that might wait until spring training. It might even be later. Um, I forget exactly what the timeline was for Reyes going into that situation. Well, it happened during the off season, right? It did. So I think, I think it happened around a similar time. It might've happened a couple of weeks earlier. I I don't remember uh, specifically when it happened, but, I don't I think it happened during the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. So he he had a trial set for um 
opening day, and then that wound up not happening. But, but yeah. So I'm saying yes, he's tradable, but with the caveat that, you know, it, say he's convicted of something in court, does that mean it's a full season suspension? Yeah, I don't know. And, and then that drastically changes what a team, you know, might be willing to give up. So, well, here's my question about his, his tradability here. Um, how can I put this? For the Mets to want to trade him, aside from the PR reasons to trade him, if they're going to trade him, they were going to want to get something back for him. When you look at what other domestic violence trades, two of which happened in New York last offseason, what they brought in, one of them was for perhaps the best closer in baseball, in Chapman. So you can't really use that as a... As a comparison point, it's okay for discussion, but you have to realize Familia and um, uh, Chapman are two very, very different players. The other one is Reyes, who was had for nothing, was had for a song, essentially, but was only really brought back to New York because of his history here and because the Mets really needed an infielder and because... It was it was a risk they were willing to take, but the Mets didn't have to give up anything for that. So for the Mets to give up Familia, I would think the return would have to be higher than than I think a lot of teams would be willing to give, especially if he's going to be missing half or all of the year with a suspension. So I don't know how tradable he is. I, I tend to think that you're right, but I could see a situation where teams don't want anything to do with him. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, That that's... Definitely possible, the especially thing, be, be, because teams might overinflate his um, postseason troubles. That's true. And then one more layer, I think, if you're in the Mets, I'm not saying it's a perfect roster, but second base might be a place that needs to be addressed. Catcher, maybe you can find an upgrade, but. You can go with the in-house options. Even if Walker doesn't return, you could go with the in-house options at both of those positions and reasonably say we still expect this team to contend. So the area that you on the roster that maybe needs some help is the bullpen. <laughs> so that that to me is the irony of it like you know, if you're looking to trade for anyone right now, it should probably be relief pitching. Right. So, you know, Relief pitcher for relief pitcher deals are, are relatively rare. I know Melanson. Uh, oh, who did he get traded for when he went to the Nationals? Oh, yeah, uh, who is that? I forget his name. This is this is why Baseball Reference exists. <laughs> I know he throws hard. I know he was you know <clears throat> promising at points with the Nationals. Oh, what is his name? Are you Let's looking see. it up? Yeah, this can be. It's like. It's like mini trivia, mm-hmm. going back to the Robcast days of the podcast. Uh, oh yes, okay. I, I was my memory was close, but I didn't want to give me a hint. Um, let's see. He's left-handed, <laughs> and uh, you want you want initials. <laughs> Uh, no, because when I don't get it, it'll be embarrassing to tell me who it is. Felipe Rivera. Yeah, okay, there we go. So, you know, that was a reliever for a reliever. Um, 
unit. Sort of the, the what you're looking at there is that the contending team needed the closer in Melanson that they felt like might help put them over the top and gave up a young, promising guy. So, you know, if the Mets were to mimic that, assuming other teams were willing to take on Familia, whatever his status is in terms of suspensions, um, you know, you might be looking at that sort of thing, a, a project reliever who, you know, might need a little bit of refinement. And that could be good, but I don't know. The The premise here in the email is that they go and get Jansen. Uh, yeah, Jansen. Can the Jansen, yeah. Um, I did, yeah. The, the email, yeah. I'm not trying to call about anybody's spelling out here, but that's why I just stumbled over a million words. Uh, <laughs> that's cold. I, I was going to say who sent the email, but now I'm not going to because you're calling out their spelling on the air. So. Well, no, it's, just, it's a letter, but it made me sound like an idiot for a good 30 seconds. But. <laughs> But there's been no indication that the Mets have any interest in doing that, spending big on the late inning relief market, um, which is somewhat disappointing in the case of Jansen and Melanson, um, attorneys at law. <laughs> they need a third guy in there. Um, Jansen, Melanson, and... Uh... Chris Hansen. <laughs> what the hell is he up to these days? Have a seat. Um, okay. <laughs> this has gone off the rails. Um, yeah, uh, I look, I think I think even with you, know, you you laid out a very cogent case a few weeks ago for going after Jansen, regardless of the situation, that right. it, it would make sense. It would really beef up the Mets back half of the bullpen. It would be a great thing going forward. I agree with all of that. I think that. So, you know, almost every question at this point is hinging on Cespedes. Yeah. Because that's going to determine how much money they have to spend, and that's going to determine where they can, if he does go, where they can replicate his production. And if they decide the bullpen's that area to target, if he walks away, that's a very different story then. Then maybe then maybe they do give Jansen a look. Although I really don't think so. But it, it's more possible in that scenario. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. Uh, so our, our final email also comes from Ryan, the author of the first email. And uh, he, he has a lot to say about um, Familia, specifically about domestic violence being a problem in baseball and uh, how that can conflict with the the primary goal of a major league team, which is to win the World Series. So, um, you know, he has, a, he has a plan for how the Mets should keep Chap, if it should keep Familia if he is suspended. He says, the Mets should announce they intend to suspend Familia with pay, without pay for 10 games longer than MLB suspends him for. So, in the case of the first two uh, names we mentioned, Chapman and Reyes, each got 40 games, so this takes him to a 50-game suspension. Addison Reed should be the full-time closer during that period. If Reed pitches well during the suspension, he would not relinquish the closer's role upon Familia's return. Furthermore, the Mets offer to donate the unpaid portion of Familia's salary to a domestic violence charity. Assuming he gets $8.75 million in arbitration, that amounts to $2.7 million in donation to charity. The Mets will also have a mandatory session at the beginning of the spring training and midway through the year to discuss domestic violence with all players and coaches. 
looking back at uh, what he mentions earlier, he says um, it still projects that domestic violence is terrible, and it still says that familia was punished. You know, he's he's right in saying that. You know, a lot of times people will say that a domestic violence abuser who still makes multiple million dollars in a year is not really being punished. But what he says here is that by going above and beyond the suspension that Major League Baseball um, puts out there, he will be punished more, and he's not guaranteed his closer job back. Uh, So that is a punishment. And it says the Mets still then are putting their organization in the position to win a championship. And... um, you know, they're not trading him for uh, pennies on the dollar. And, uh, yeah, that's that's the... There, there's a lot more there, but that kind of sums it up. And uh, I think that, again, I think Ryan is, is pretty reasonable here. Yeah, I... Well, one, I don't, I'm not sure if they can suspend him on their own past what Major League Baseball issues i you know that's a that's an interesting question actually yeah that's sort of a deep dive into the cba which doesn't exist yet <laughs> i mean teams uh, suspend their players internally all the time yeah no they they do but whether or not they can go beyond something mlb does uh actually donating some of the money to an organization or multiple organizations that deal with domestic violence as an issue uh seems like a pretty good thing to do uh, I mean, of, of course, it's a good thing to do, but it, in, in the context of this, um, so it, I mean, yeah, all, all of that stuff makes sense. I know the, the the email finishes with sort of you know the mentioning the Cubs and them winning and and you know their fans and team and organization probably not caring at all that Chapman has that in his past. Uh, for the name of a championship, so I think the the principle of it is it's somewhat, you know, somewhat flawed, uh, and and it could never not be, you, you know. Mm-hmm. In the end, you know, I it, I think by the end of this season, I was able to cheer for things that Jose Reyes did as a baseball player. You know, you sort of time passes and you you maybe like I still had reservations about him and him being a Met and everything but you applaud the part of his life that you can see right and and we don't have any idea really what's happened otherwise you know off off the field and at home and everything right I know that a big deal was made that he was continuing um, to seek therapy after his um, mandated time in therapy ended, and that right. was seen as a good thing, which I would certainly agree is a good thing. But it, it's also, you know, I no one's going to come out and say, I'm still the same scumbag I was before. Like, everyone's going to make overtures that they are, you know, doing more than they than they maybe have to do, or they're they're, they're trying to be contrite. And all this, and like you said, it's hard to um, it's hard to root for Reyes. I think it's also hard to just write a player off forever. We talked about this before. We're treading old ground here, but um, just to kind of go against Ryan's last point, I don't know how I'd have felt if the Mets made it to the World Series and 
won the World Series based on something Jose Reyes did. I think I might still feel partially guilty about that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no, so, I mean, like... I'm a guilty guy, though. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a different story. Yeah, but it's... I think the interesting thing, and and they're very, very different things, but I think the interesting thing to sort of compare it to is, say... I guess maybe what would bother me a little bit if the Brewers won the world series next year and Ryan Braun was the MVP, the sporting world as a whole would put asterisks on the team's success because Ryan Braun has, you know, the past with his PD test and all the aftermath of what played out with the testing and the, the person who handled his sample, man, Sports can be fun, right? Uh, <laughs> but but there would be more. You mean his public shaming of a totally innocent guy? Well, well, yeah, yes, yeah, that. Uh, and I I know, but like, that's not to me. That is an off the field trait, but because it was related to something on the field, is more of an automatic asterisk, right? Yeah. That's what would annoy me is that, you know, anyone, anyone who might not care about the, this issue, uh, as we do might say that, Oh, look, the game is his job and that's not a job. It's his personal life. That should be separated. You know, why do you care so much about that? So that annoys me uh, that, that, that sort of, Ryan Braun's character flaw would be more of a stain upon a championship team. Right. Or even A-Rod, really, with the 2009 Yankees. Although, I, in fairness, I guess in those cases, A-Rod having actually happened, people don't try to take away from the team. They take away from him, but they don't, you know, they don't try to take away from the team as much. I, I think there's a whole slew of reasons for that. Yeah. So I, it's just somewhat of a double standard. Um, I don't. I, I I wish we didn't have a a situation where the Mets would have one or two guys who are in this boat. Uh, a few years down the road, maybe every team has a guy who's in this boat, which is depressing. God, I hope not. But possible. You know, I mean, these are we're in the early stages of baseball incorporating this into its own discipline so and as new york baseball fans we've been very familiar with every player who's gone into that um that system of of penalties from baseball since you know one was a beloved former met who came back after it uh the other was traded to the Yankees and then from the Yankees. And then the other one is a homegrown Met who, you know, has been here all along. Yeah. So they, they've all had some tie to New York in the last year. That's pretty crazy when you think of it, actually. Yeah. I mean, for the sake of everybody involved, I hope they're the only three. Yes. Uh, being a realist, they're probably not going to be the only three. No. It's depressing to think back about how many players we've probably rooted for that did equally terrible things. 
but we just didn't know about it. Right. So on that note, <laughs> tune in next week. Yeah. Uh, for more moral relativism from Chris and Brian. <laughs> yeah, I I mean the one last thing. I get the overall point that you know, you want the Mets to win the World Series more than anything else. Uh and if you believe in second chances and rehab and allowing people who have done things like this to be, you know, to to become better people uh and not just dismissing them and putting them into a state of financial uncertainty and all that. I, I, I get all that, but it, it would be a little bit easier if it just, you know, if those guys weren't on the championship team. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. I'm, I did that. I'm done. <laughs> How's it going, Mets fans? Greg Karam and Steve Saipa back with you to talk about the Mets minor league system. And we are back again to talk about some fringe uh, prospects. Well, fringe is a harsh word, but we're talking about non-top 10 prospects. And we're going to continue that by talking about Andrew Church. I promise that we will get to uh, some of the the premium prospects. We're going to have a special guest on next week. We'll keep it a secret for now, but uh, it's not too much of a secret. But we're going to have a nice de- guest for you on next week to discuss uh, more of the premium prospects and maybe some of the more obscure prospects as well. So that said, Steve, Andrew Church, uh, second-round pick uh, from the 2013 draft, 48th overall. Kind of a surprise pick when they made the uh, the selection – I don't think he was on too many uh, guys, some too many uh, draft guru radars. It seems like the Mets probably caught them, uh, caught him at a couple of good starts, and maybe got him for a. I think it was a below slot deal. So had some trouble. He bounced around in high school, went to a different couple of different schools, and I think that you know may have played into why he was able to. They were get, able to get him so cheap. Anyway, uh, fast, you know, he's off the radar for years and pops up out of nowhere this year in Columbia and striking out a bunch of guys. What, tell me, tell me a little bit about Andrew Church. Um, well, he's a guy, he throws uh fastball. He used to throw a curveball, but they scrapped that in place of a slider and the slider is pretty decent, um, especially because of his arm slot and he has a working change. Um, that's a nice way. Watch- that's a euphemism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, watching him, couple. You know, I watched a couple of starts on the MILB TV. The thing that really stands out to me is not necessarily his pitching stuff, but just something physical. Uh, he toes the extreme first base side of the rubber. It's just uh, a couple of other guys, you know, do that in baseball. But I don't know. It just really sticks out to me. <clears throat> um. His fastball, I, you know, I guess we can get into it. There have been a bunch of different velocity readings. Uh, it's ranged anywhere from like 86 to 95. So that's about a 10 mile per hour difference. Yeah. But you can add a little asterisk there with some of those lower readings, of course. Yeah, right. So like late in the season, he 
made a spot start for Vegas, I guess, like, on his way home, because uh, I think he's from the Vegas area, or thereabouts, and uh, f- literally flew across the country, got out of the the plane, drove to the game, and got there in, like, the second inning, and proceeded to throw the next four innings, and then his velocity was, like, according to the gun, and who knows about the gun, because it was, I think, El Paso or something like, what, was it El Paso? I don't know I what it was. So. But uh, I don't know if that gun is hot or whatever, but he was 86 to 87 pretty much the whole start. And that didn't really jibe with what we had seen earlier in the year at Columbia. He was like, I mean, I've seen, I, I tracked, uh, okay, so it's charting. That's that's the word that's used for the I score sheet stuff. Uh, yes. Finally settled on that. But he's like 89 and 91. That's kind of where he sits typically. And he touches ninety four, you know it can get, it can dip above below, but you know it's it's uh there's it's a you know good velocity. You, you don't really get it too often down at those levels <laughs> from starters, so uh, it's it was exciting when he just kind of popped up out of nowhere. And I, I, his first couple of starts in Columbia were outrageously good. Of course, then he goes into St. Lucie and you get nothing out of there. I mean, all you have is a, a radio broadcast. I'm not listening to a radio broadcast. Like, that's just not happening. But he doesn't do as well there, right? He doesn't strike. He didn't do bad. Yeah, he didn't do bad, but he's not, like, striking out 10 guys in an outing and stuff like that, um, like he was at Columbia. Puts up a 3.6 ERA. They send him back down to Columbia. I think it was, you know, I don't know if it was necessarily because of his performance or if it was just because they just kind of shut all those starters back and forth for need at that point, but um, he put up a 2.22 ERA at Columbia and was striking out almost a batter an inning, and like you said, good fastball and pretty good slider. I mean, I, I actually think that that got better as the season went along, and the the change is, is really a, a work in progress. Uh, <laughs> what was the word? You working a working change? It's a working change. A working change. Yeah, he th- he throws it. He throws it. <laughs> but uh, it, no, it's nice to have a guy like this come out of nowhere, seemingly come out of nowhere, uh, because we had kind of written him off a bit. I mean, before this season, hey, have you thrown maybe like a hundred innings in, uh, professionally and? None of it was noteworthy. I mean, he threw 41 innings for uh, Brooklyn last year. Uh, he was striking out, you know, not a lot of guys. Striking out 11.8% of batters. So wasn't really on our radar at all. No, uh, I mean, it's he was always kind of a weird pick just based on his history and how high he was selected in, in the in the draft in 2013 and the fact that he didn't I guess kind of initially dazzle us definitely um you know yeah well when you spend really most help. of your time in extended spring like you know we're we're, we're internet uh, prospect writers like we don't have <laughs> we don't have sources there uh you know to tell us what's actually going on so it's we're just left in the dark you know, maybe we talk to somebody who talks to somebody, and then we can hear it forthhand. But um, so you just kind of out of sight, out of mind. So anyway, at this point, what do you see for him going forward? Um, I mean, you know, for him, I think a lot of it is going to be consistency. 
Um, I want to see. I guess he should probably start the season next year in St. Lucie. Um, maybe they could start him in Binghamton uh, for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. Oh dear. <laughs> but I think that would be a little aggressive, and if anything, this organization usually errs on the side of you know caution. So he'll probably start in St. Lucie. And uh, like we said before, his numbers um, in his first stint there this year weren't bad, but like they weren't really that great either. So I'd like to see him, you know, jack up the strikeout rate a little bit. Um, and you know, of course, obviously, always lower the walks. Yeah, and work on developing that third pitch. Like like you said, develop. I mean, the fact that his his velocity ranges so widely. Uh, it kind of indicates to me that consistency with his delivery is uh, something that needs to be worked on. So, you know, that that's definitely something he's going to be need to be working on, and also developing that third pitch because uh, you know, just fastball slider, you're going to end up in the bullpen eventually if you can't, you know, get better batters out with those uh, two pitches. And you need the third pitch, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But anyway, so then in. In the broader context of the the farm system, where does Andrew Church slot in for you? Um, he does make my top thirty list. Well, he's, yeah, I would think he would make the yes, top thirty. Yes. Yeah, he's at the back end. Uh, without saying other names, whatever, I have him at number twenty-five for what it's worth. Okay, that so, doesn't really mean anything to anyone because no right. one knows any other names. But yeah. He's on the back end, right? So I, I've I've put a list together, so I kind of have an idea of what you're saying and where you're, you're placing him. So let's let's do a compare contrast here, because last year last week we were talking about uh, Nabil Krismat, or however you pronounce his name. We'll figure it out. Right. He was a guy we were talking about. He's probably in the mix for the top thirty. So who do you like better between Krismat and Church? I like Church better. I think that his fastball velocity gives him more of an edge. Um, obviously, Chris Matt has a more refined um, curveball and a much more well-refined changeup. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if you kind of have um, a fringe, I mean, not that his fastball, Chris Matt, is fringy-ish, but it's not as good as Church's. Um, so if Church can improve on his changeup, um, he's he has a stronger base than Chris Matt has. To work yeah, with. it's a very interesting question because you take a guy like Chris Matt, he can pitch. You know, this he, he's got the changeup. Uh, he's he, he's know he knows how to pitch. He, he works fast. You know, he can spot the fastball and that kind of thing. But yeah, his ceiling is kind of somewhat limited in that you know, he he touches ninety one, and so that kind of limits the profile. But then you take a guy like Church, who's you know he's got a, got a bit of a fastball, um, can touch ninety five, has a slider, you know. So it's tough profiles to compare, but um, yeah, Church is in the mix for me. I, I have him ranked above Chrismat as well, um, but you know, I like I like just kind of thinking about it and talking about it, and I like juxtaposing these guys next to each other and then you know comparing and contrasting them. So. Just makes it, you that's, think. That's all we do, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, a whole off season we're going to be talking about these guys. But next week we are going to be talking about more premium prospects. We're going to be t- discussing the top ten prospects in the system. Maybe a couple other guys. 
uh, with the very special guests uh, near and dear to all of our hearts. <laughs> but uh, that's all the time we have for this week. So we will see you again next week in this same spot. Hey, it's Caitlin McCabe with another edition of Forgotten Mets. It's safe to say that you didn't forget this week's lost player. You blocked him from your memory because he was, to be honest, pretty terrible while in New York. I mean, his most memorable incident wasn't even with the Mets, but with the Diamondbacks. There's this great story of how he was drunk and disorderly outside a strip district nightclub in Pittsburgh and allegedly punched a female patron in the face, attacked another woman with a lighter, and slugged a male parking valet. As punishment, he was cut in 2001 from the team he was on, the Diamondbacks, just before the season ended and just before the Diamondbacks won the World Series. If this, of all things, doesn't ring any bells, this sad soul is catcher Michael DeFelice. A graduate of Tennessee, he was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals in the 11th round of the amateur draft. He then made his major league debut in 1996 with the Cards. Over his first two seasons, and the only two seasons, he spent with the Mets, 2005 and 2006, his batting averages were bad. Like, really bad. In 2005, he had a batting average of 118, 2 out of 17, and in 2006, he had only an 80 batting average. That's 2 out of 25. However, in 2007, his final year with the Mets, his batting average improved to 250, which was 10 out of 40, but even with that, the Mets obviously declined to offer him salary arbitration. Duh. So after a pretty meh minor league career with Tampa Bay, DeFelice took over as manager of the rookie-level team in the Mets' farm system, the Kingsport Mets. But his lousy career in the majors lived on. He was included on the Rays' 40-man roster in the baseball video game MLB 09 The Show, even though he had retired in September 2008. For more reminders of Mets players you wanted to forget forever, be sure to catch next week's episode of Amazing Avenue Audio. installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. Please go to AmazingAvenue.com for all your Mets needs, including the AAOP, the Amazing Avenue Off-Season Plan Contest, which should be launching any day now. Uh, Next week or the week after, we will be doing our AAOPs on the show, and that'll be a lot of fun. You can, uh, of course, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, also at Amazing Avenue. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the show in iTunes, in Stitcher, or in your podcatcher of choice. We especially could, could use more uh, reviews and ratings. Those do help a lot, believe it or not. Um, you can follow all of our contributors on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Greg is at Greg Karam. Steve is at Steve Saipa. And Caitlin McCabe is at, I have to get this right, she's still too new to the show to have it memorized, uh, KAM3194. Again, that's at KAM3194. Um, hopefully by the time you guys hear this, there's some good news in Metsland. Maybe they'll resign Cespedes. Maybe they'll, um, magically trade Rene Rivera for Mike Trout. We'll see what happens. But until next time, let's go Mets. Mm-hmm.